0: See yeah. learning machine learning and uh, the topic that we are currently covering is supervised learning uh, so, formerly we learn from what we learn from examples you uh, learn from uh, listening trying to understand uh, but kids learn by observing and uh, and doing, and uh, where humans are very good at is also uh, generalization. So given some examples, humans somehow learn uh, the prediction. So normally, what is uh, given as input for learning is uh, uh, the cases, this is x1, and the outcome is one. So if, if there was the input X one, the output was Y one. Or input X two, the output is Y two, etc. So these are the learning, uh, the, the training examples. And the whole task of uh, of learning is to start being able to predict the Y value. So whenever somebody presents a new X, we should learn what will be the outcome Y. In the past we uh, observed uh, people uh, with these characteristics shopping that much, this person shopping that much. In comes a new person, how much he or she will shop. So. From examples, we want to learn what is a function that allows to go from the input variable x to the output variable y. And uh, the function, if you learn the function, well, hopefully this is the generalization. So we learn the function that captures the essence uh, how the prediction can be made. So the outcome could be a real valid outcome, as in the regression analysis. For x equals 0.7, the training example was 0.45. So if we say that the new example is in here, if we know the function, we can say that, oh, it's probably likely somewhere in here, right? Not this, not in here. If we learn the function, well, and the data behaves well. That we are able to predict with relatively small error. So in here, the y, uh, what we try to predict, is a real valid, uh number. In the classification, the the y is just in the simplest case, is just two classes: uh, yes or no, blue or red. So, the input in here is uh, x's are from a uh, two-dimensional space, uh, real by the two-dimensional space, and what we try to ask is what color that new point will likely be. So the, uh, the task is just to be able to separate two classes. Of course you can, uh, you can do three classes, four classes, but if, if you do three classes you can Usually, boil it down to two classes first versus the two others, the second versus the two others. So, you can uh, make a setup where you, uh, where you test for one class versus all the others. So, in the simplest case, it's just two classes. So, the question boils down to how, do we, how can we, given the examples, given the x's. And the two classes and the two labels in the beginning, what will be the function that allows us to separate the two? So in here the function has been just line, and depending are you on, on one or the other side of the line, you can see that uh, you probably will guess uh, the color right? And you can observe that there are some mistakes, so this some training examples already are on the wrong side of the uh, already are on the wrong side of the uh, classification um, linear classifier in this case. So um, we have input uh, variables or input attributes x's. This is the function. So from input uh, we get input. This uh, captures the function. The classification model, and then this should given this input should calculate the output, which is just zero or one, or minus one, or plus one, whatever you how you choose to do it mathematically. And uh, now the machine learning machine basically takes the input and outputs some of the models, they can be decision trees, they can be uh, linear uh, classifier, this is a, uh, a weighted set of, uh, uh, basically it's a hyperplane in higher dimensional space and the function is are you on one side or the other side, or uh, this one is uh, the neural network where there are input variables, there are some hidden uh, neurons, hidden layers, so each one doing some calculation, each one taking some input and uh, based on the information in here, whether uh, this should fire the next signal to the output or not. So the neurons get input uh, from, uh, uh, from the environment, for example, uh, you can test the pain, so when is the pain sufficient, so that the neuron will activate the pain pathway uh, basically telling you to the next level that there is pain. So in, in the brain uh, there are lots of neurons connected, so it's much more complicated of course, but conceptually if you have enough inputs, uh, then you should have output. And in this way, actually this is uh, pretty much similar, each neuron is pretty much a linear classifier in, in its own, but if, if you decide based on some threshold, whether to send the new signal out or not. And all these uh, you can uh, just have... In theory you can just uh, go to the any of the tools and say that I want to learn this or that classifier and find it for me. The question is of course that which one should you trust? How do we validate it? So how do we validate that we have learned something useful? Um, you already, I think, uh, studied this iris data set, didn't it? So it's about the uh, iris flowers and uh, measurements of the of the flowers, uh, the the width, uh, width and the uh, length of the two uh, types of uh, leaves in here, and the classification to three classes. So decision tree say that okay let's first look at that petal bit. is this the bigger part so let's first look at the petal bit if it's less than 0.6 it must have been iris and all the iris and dosa had petal bit less than 0.6 uh, all of them are in there for larger petal bit uh, we can uh, what do we do next? We can decide okay it's larger than 0.6 but let's now make another call if it's larger than 1.7 it's very large then it's iris virginica and 46 of them ends up in here correctly but there is one mistake as well and the range between 0.6 and 1.7 now let's look at the beta length if it's less than 0.5 then it's uh, iris versicolor. color so most of it iris those is in here, most of virginica is in there, and most of the color is in there. Right? And uh, in here, if petal length is larger, then you can still look at another variable, less or larger. So basically, uh, decision tree is very simple. You start asking, what is the variable? Should you go left or right? Depending where you went, you ask about the next left or right. So how, one question is how do we train them, right? But we will come back to that. At the moment the question is, is what is the... I'm trying to figure out if, if that uh, next slide is correct matches. So 46 virginicas ended up in here and there was one mistake. And in here three correctly were. Identified in here, this class. So 46 plus three is 49. Correctly identified that there was uh, one uh, mistake. So what we class, we what we classified as. Uh, Virginica C is the class Virginica. 48 were correctly classified. It, it is possible that, the, that there is small uh, correspondence issues. So, the true classes are represented in here. We know that A, B, and C. Setoza versus color virginica. And our classifier classified them, all those are classified correctly as those as A. 49 of real versicolor was classified as B versicolor. But, B versus color was also classified these two while they were coming from this rigid class. So it was predicted to be uh, versus color, but actually they are false. They are errors. False predictions. False positives. Um, so if you do this prediction, everything is correct. If you do this pre- uh, prediction, then two were wrong. Forty-nine are correct. If you do this, forty-eight are correct. One is wrong. So this is the three classes that we can uh, look at uh, whether we predict correct or not. But similar to the two-class instances, we can start uh, asking what is the what is the kind of a, uh, precision of these kinds of predictions, etc. So out of the out of the hundred and fifty cases had 50-50-50, out of the 150 cases, uh, these were co- uh, classified correctly, and 3 were misclassified. <coughs> so that means that uh, the in- incorrectly classified instances are 3, 1 in every 50 is misclassified, 2 in every 100, 2% is misclassified. So the incorrectly classified 2%, correctly classified 98%. Uh, precision and recall is something that uh, we we can ask two things so basically if we cl- if we classify as b as versicolor right out of these classifications out of the 51 49 are correct so the precision is Forty nine out of how many uh, decisions? True positives out of uh, positives. True positives is forty nine in this case. Forty nine divided by fifty one. Forty nine divided by fifty one. Oh, yeah, but that's actually. Oh, these, are, these are as classified positives. So precision is, I make the precision for 51, and how many of those are correct. That is the, how precise I am. If you want to be 100% precise, then just pick one case where you have the 100% certainty, and this is precision 1. You are absolutely certain that this is correct. But this does not mean that you've discovered all of those, right? So the other question is recall. How many... How many of those people who desperately need some cancer screening, how many can we invite? How many do we capture? Those who are having high cancer risk, can we capture all of them? Or just a single one? A single one is not... Even if she if will be correct, it's not enough. They want to recall as much as possible. And the recall is of these uh, true positives, 49. And now it's out of uh, positive examples, uh, 49 out of 50. So 49 out of all the 50, uh, that is the recall. The so recall is 98%, but precision is uh, 96%. And then we want ideally both of these to be high. That can find identify all cases as correct as possible, but we are going to, are going to make some mistakes, so, and we can't say that we want only one. How do we get the 100% call? Select all. We just recall because all the all the cases are there, right? But this is kind of useless. So. Uh, we want to maximize both precision and recall, but individually it's hard to maximize one without the others. So this uh, f-measure or precision above f-measure is sort of like average of the two. So you want to be uh, the both values are high. So, in a way, we, in the classification we are back to this two-by-two two contingency table. Uh, we have the actual classes, yes or no, and we predict Yes or no? If actually is yes, we predict yes, it's true positives. If actually is no, predicted it no, it's true negatives. These are the correct cases. Uh, actually is yes, uh, yes, but we miss them. We predict that they are ne- no, so we we say that they are negative, but actually it is false negative. Yeah. They shouldn't be. These cases are the false negatives, ones that are, we are missing. Uh, these cases are actual no, but we can't call them positives. So we call them positives, but they are false. False positives. Uh, and then in, in statistics you can uh, assign these. These are called the type 1, type 2 errors. And uh, in principle you can assign different costs to those. What is the cost of... Uh, of missing somebody who might have benefited from the cancer screening. If our co- question is, do we call everybody, then it's uh, too complicated. So if we miss one, maybe it's uh, not so high cost. Uh, but if we start predicting that, uh, that uh, this person should go for ex- expensive uh, uh, surgery or whatever, uh, we want to be absolutely certain that. This is really worth for that person. You may have the other situation that if you, you you cannot afford missing a case. If there is some, I don't know, deadly virus out there, you have to have to invite everybody for check. We cannot take the risk that one of those escapes. So in real life, these type one attack errors may. They have different cost assigned, and that means also that you can uh, think of uh, what is the balance point, how many you should uh, call uh, positives uh, in the first place. Because uh, calling somebody positive may mean some decisions that Let's have expensive surgery, let's do the test of them, there, there may be some cost involved. And there is also a cost involved in missing something. So we just looked at the what is the ratio of true positives out of uh, all cases. This is the recall, and what is the true positives out of all that we call positives? Uh, the precision, and that is, is the average. Um, F measure is harmonic mean of the two. So these uh, these two values in here and uh, the, basically the counts, uh, as in the uh, association rule, we can have many different measures uh, asking about uh, the accuracy, pre- positive predictive value, precision, false discovery rate, if we call that many, 150, how many of those are probably false, uh, positive likelihood rate ratio, False positive rates, uh, true negative rates, odds ratios. If you do one or the other, uh, then what are the odds? So we can uh, we can uh, again calculate different measures from the same two by two contingency table. Now, uh, four contingency tables in here: A, B, C, and C prime. C and C prime, 24 I 76, 76, 24 just swapped in these uh, in these two columns. Uh, so uh, we can calculate uh, true positive rates, false positive rates, positive prediction value, uh, all these different measures. <coughs> so which one is that? Uh, what what we would like to maximize? So we can. We can take these values and at least uh, point, uh, put on the on the space true positive rate or, or sensitivity. How uh, true positive rate? Uh, how many I I uh, capture? If it's true positive and Higher C, uh, but basically C prime, is that it's uh, uh, zero, uh, 0.76 are correct, are positive positives, really. Um, and if I call uh, that many, then out of those zero uh, point seventeen or whatever zero point fifteen are false positives. So every time I call somebody positive. Every time I call somebody positive, it's I move, up, uh, or, left, like, deciding whether uh, it's true positive or false positive. Uh, in this way, we can put uh, on the quote, this point means that I have, I have my classifier that was 100% correct. These are all that I call are true positives. correct, and there has not been any single false positive. This is the ideal case. We have classified everything 100% correct, and all that remains there are the false examples. This is a perfect classifier. If if I do 50-50 choice, then I'm likely to have 50% correct and 50% incorrect. So on the red line, this is something where I have not learned really anything. It's a random guess, 50 50 chance. If my point is below there, I'm actually doing this, uh, uh, negative uh, wrong predictions all the time. I have been calling only uh, 0.2 are correct and 0. Uh, 0.85 are incorrect. Right? Majority of those are incorrect. So the good classifier uh, based on these should be somewhere on top left corner as much to the top left corner as possible. Right? Now, this is... uh, Each point is uh, something where you have called. The point in here you have made the call. Uh, for 0.3 and 0.15, uh, 0.45 uh, altogether. So if you call Q, <coughs> uh, then of course you can't have many true positives, but you will also not have too many false uh, false uh, positives, right? Um, true positives, false positives. So some of the classifiers uh, will be such that uh, You will assign some, say, probability or ranking or likelihood, uh, whatever, some priority, that uh, I trust you, that you are the first correct. And then I I take some, my next guess is that one, right? So there will be some order. And depending whether my order is good, the good classifier should first try to label as correct cases as possible, and then start moving to the weaker uh, predictions. So we can make, start making predictions, and in this order we can actually uh, plot on this receiver operator characteristic space, we can plot the entire classifier. What happens if we start making a positive calls? In the beginning, most of the positive calls are true, so I move st- steeply up. Maybe there are small uh, mistakes. The red one is in theory is weaker than the black one. Black one so far has been much more correct than the red one. Yeah. So um, in order of how I make predictions, I move every true positive I move up, every false positive I move right. I want to have more true positives and less false positives. And now, depending on my classifier, the more and more I call. At this point, actually the red classifier is better than the black, right? Because the red point is higher to the left than the black in here. So the black classifier in here in the beginning is more correct, but if we call more, then the red classifier was better, in a way. But this gives now the the view over the entire space as I start making predictions, uh, as the predictions, the more and more. So, uh, this is by how much I am sort of like off from the diagram. The more to the left, far left I am, the better is the classifier. Because being strictly on the diagram would be just random guess, randomly, randomly guessing all the time. So, well, this uh, uh, true positive, false positive plot, uh, uh, this is called the receiver operator characteristics. From those times you send the message, how many are true, how many are false uh, messages that you get, how many get scrambled? Sort of like you want to have uh, high accuracy or sort of correct messages and not make any, any wrong ones. So, that's why from the radio passing of signals, receiver operator characteristic to send messages over the, over the uh, some kind of uh, communication channel but from here what you can observe is that the classifier would be you can you can say okay let's just look at the 200 first cases that you made and then how many of those are correct how many are false right this would be just one point in 300 cases you have another point so, now what we can do is that, uh, instead of just looking at one point at a time, we can start looking at what is the area under the curve. So, are the, area under the curve of the receiver operator uh, characteristic curve, AOC, ROC uh, curve, is the, the larger the area, the better the classifier. So, Good classifier will have good accuracy, precision, and recall, or better uh, re- receiver operator characteristic curve, that means higher area under this curve. So now that we sort of have the basics, how do we be measure how good is a classifier? We can say that machine learning is we have examples, training examples. Our task is to find the function. That we optimize these parameters to make them high as uh, accurate and precise, uh, high recall, large area under the curve value. So the function should optimize these values uh, based on the training examples. Finally, the classifier. Finally, the function that is maximizing uh, these values for given. Uh, Trading example for given data, right? Machine learning has to optimize for for this high precision we call accuracy area under the curve of receiver operator characteristics. If we agree that this is the the goal, uh, then all the rest is just optimization. What is the best function that will optimize uh, that value? Or given data. They are happy with this? They are all happy with this definition? But I didn't get five turning to get higher area under this curve because in the end the red would be fifty. No, 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 no. The the red isopar here is is making is. Uh, <coughs> It starts making the predictions and they are consistently better than the random guess, right? It, it moves higher. That more of these are true positives. It's better than the random guess, right? Now, we have not fixed a single point where we should stop, right? But the overall goal is that the group good classifier, the best classifier will actually go straight up there and then there. So the best optimal classifier will just go up there, all correct. And all wrong. That that would be the ideal. In real life, we can not achieve that. So the larger area under the curve, in the optimal, uh, in, in the ideal case, its area under the curve would be the unit square in here, right? Area under, under the random line in here would be half. Area under this will be something like now zero point seven of the area. Yeah. Do we get it right that the uh, points in this scrap get you get them by just asking a classifier to get me one more positive sample each time? Uh, yes. So the point is that it, yeah, if, if you're just given one shot, yes, that was either correct or wrong. Yeah. So you get that, point. that takes you one 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 higher, right? The next one will get you either higher or return. or right. To, to write it. yeah Yes. At the moment, we, we didn't have any any uh, any real measure for how do we get that ordering. But if you say the linear separator, the further, the, most, uh, the more uh, one extreme you are, you can say that this is my best, first bet, right? And this is the, the next bet. Whatever. You, you start calling the, the blues. The further you are from the line, you, you are more certain. And the closer you come to the line, your certainty fades away, right? So that is the kind of natural ordering. How good is your prediction? In the case that we showed for the for the decision tree, there was no straightforward way how to how, how do you say that one you believe more than the other. You could probably guess something in there. If that it was a large group, everything was correct correct classified, let's make those calls first. And the small cases where there are both cases mixed, let's leave those as the the last ones. So we want to optimize these values. Uh, Our classifier wants to optimize these values uh, uh, to maximize the prediction accuracy. There is a catch. Come on. Must be attached. We have the training data. We want to optimize function for these for these measures, and we hope that our classifier will be good. But all that we have is only the training data. <laughs> Our classifier could work well on the training data, but not done in the real world. Well, well, that, well. that is the catch. How, how do we know how well that will perform in the real world? That, that, that is what we should care about: how it will behave on the future cases. How good is the prediction in the future for which we don't have any prior knowledge? Having the optimal values in here, you know how to make the optimal values for this. You just memorize every single training case and say that if that was uh, labeled correct, then you move up. You just memorize every case, you don't generalize at all. You just memorize everything that we have seen. And we have optimal uh, accuracy precision recall for the training data, for given data be optimized. But this doesn't tell me anything about the future. What we should care somehow is that this function that we learned, yes it should be behave well on the training data, yes, but what we really care about is what, what is its future prediction uh, capability? How does it generalize for for future? So, we want something to perform well on, on C data, and that is where, where the complexities come in, in the theorem. Because we need to somehow start validating uh, making sure that there might be training and uh, how we validate what is the process how do be trained how do we validate uh, this has to be uh, figured out right and uh, uh, what more you you can never test your algorithm on the same data that you use to train it's useless we train the model but we but we should not ask how good it is on that trained data set, but only on something that is unseen before. And the moment that you see something, you cannot forget it anymore. You can't say that, oh, let's pretend I did not see that thing. So what has been seen uh, cannot be unseen. So uh, the typical way is how do we do is that we take the same data, uh, we select a subset of the data large enough, based on which we can train. But this we set aside uh, some other test set uh, that we do, do not pass to so the training phase. We uh, set it aside for testing purposes only. And once we have the model, then we validate this model not on that data but on this data, and then we get. Uh, the precision, we call accurate measures, for this test set. The question is, how do we? Uh, what should be sent for training? What should be sent for testing? There, are, there can be two problems. One is that uh, we sometimes we do not have enough data. Intuition is the more data you have, the better model you can make. But then you don't have too much to test, right? If you send too little uh, data for the training, uh, then maybe you cannot make a good model. So there is some sort of trade off how much should be key for, for testing. And uh, the second one is that uh, we want to be fair. Uh, for the both training and testing, that they follow the same basic underlying distributions and principles, right? So it won't be fair that we compare this data and this data are somewhat similar, at least behaving similarly, right? They come from the, the same theory You cannot train the model on, on, on male examples and test on females, right? That is a simple, simple case. So they should uh, follow the same uh, statistical underlying principles so that you can really uh, validate. Uh, so the model is that you, we learn, our learning algorithm learns a model, then we have a model that we start applying, and then we then derive the new classes, this is the predictions, and, uh, and sometimes we can verify then how good our predictions were in real life. Um, in real life when we start applying them or with the training test, uh, test uh, data that was withheld. So, uh, in here we can say that we put aside some portion. Uh, what we can do is we can do cross validation, we can uh, compare what decision tree met- method will work good. Put 80% of the data for the training and test of the eight, uh, 20%. But test on the 20% is not very large proportion. So what we can do with the uh, uh, cross-validation is that the next classifier we train with the other 80% and test with the other 20%. So the other classifier is tested on the, on the other 20%. And then you can do five-time cross-validation every time you load a different portion of the 20%. And then all the five classifiers uh, have different predictions for the 20%. But you can sum them up and say that how well the decision tree classifiers on average would work on those unseen data. The problem is that you will have five different classifiers. Which one is the one that you are going to apply later? Right. So, what you, But at least what you can do is you can learn the parameters, how to, how to train your classifier and then uh, fine-tune these parameters, say that on average the trees that have, have this or that size or this, this or that parameters, these work well, and then you figure out what are the expected parameters, and then you put in all the data, train on that, and then say that now I have the classifier for future. That are good to use in real world. So we can do cross validation with a k fold cross validation, or with more computation power, we can do leave one out cross validation. Every time we hold one, one example, train the exa- uh, train on all the rest, and then ask how good what is your prediction for that one. So that is extreme uh, leave one out cross validation. And sometimes you can do sort of like pool strap, uh, but, but then it depends whether you whether you sample uh, multiple times, whether you withhold totally different examples, how to boost uh, some learning uh, performance. So there are lots of uh, theories about uh, about this kind of uh, uh, withhold the data, is it with replacement, uh, without replacement, uh, kind of statistical sampling. Okay, um, Netflix. You know now as uh, being on a certain market that you can look, uh, watch videos over the internet. Netflix started. uh, Yes, they had that goal to be be the future of the of the uh, of the video streaming, etc. But then, when they started, there was not strong enough internet connections. Right. So when they started, they had uh, they were shipping. DVDs out of homes, so you can sign sign the monthly monthly uh, uh, monthly uh, uh, contract, and you could ask for as many DVDs as you ever wanted for that monthly contract. And then Netflix was asking when you returned the DVD, I was asking uh, uh, what was your scoring from one to five stars. How did you score the movie? Did you like it or not? So this way they had, uh, uh, from hundreds of thousands, millions of customers they had for many movies, for for hundreds of thousands, uh, uh, well, 17,000 in here, for 18,000 movies, uh, they had half a million users that had been providing these ratings. And then they, they had internal in-house uh, 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 systems, but they set up a million billion dollar prize. Who can beat their prediction method, uh, making it better by 10%? Uh, 10% is, I You the rating, you, you will like uh, Terminator at 4 stars. But in, in reality, you like it five stars, right? So I made a 20% mistake. Okay? But overall, all these predictions, uh, who can improve the predictions by, by 10%? That was, a, that was a goal. They wanted to test which machine learning methods would be able to beat their system uh, by, uh, by more than 10%. And then they set up the prize, uh, $1 million. That activates many people. Uh, especially universities where people are already paid by the governments. They jump on those data to start working and doing uh, predictions. But, but why would Netflix do this kind of thing as a business? Why, do, why would they need the rating? Because so you could make uh, money off, it. Like, how do money make off money? it. How do you make money? So that is the question. How do you make money in this case? You, you sign up with a monthly plan. Say 10, 10 bucks a, a month, and uh, you could ask for any. Well, you could ask for a, as many DVDs to be set to your home as you want. You have a fixed monthly plan, and you can just order videos. But maybe it could uh, help the movie producers, like if Netflix uh, predicts that my movie is going to get the 4.5 stars and then... These, pass- are already, these are already the movies that have been made yeah. that are shipping... Yeah, there two reasons. First, the minimum, like uh, the customers will order minimum uh, movies. And the second is that the customer will continue uh, mm-hmm. like, to subscribe. Yeah. Customer satisfaction. Customer satisf- satisfaction is absolutely one, one crucial thing. The, yeah, but customer can choose any movie. Right? Customers should be as satisfied as, as hell, right? They, they have all the choice. I so suggest some good movies like I can like, don't know like, what to choose. Why not? the they choose like all the movies are, are all four. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> if, somebody, if somebody rates some movie uh, at 5, are you also thinking that this is 5 for you? Or you, do you just buy the, go by all the crowd? Yeah. So and then you list all these high-quality movies that general audience doesn't care but, uh, but that are, I don't know, really high-quality documentaries or something. Actually, right? that my yes. children make the right number of copies of each movie. Yes. That, that, that is the other reason. So You don't want to have the case that, that in, I don't know, a small town in somewhere, everybody wants to, to watch next, uh, I don't know, next Star Trek. Star Wars movie, right? You, you you can't make that many hard copies. You want to somehow optimize that everybody is satisfied, but you are also not making million copies in the one go, right? That people uh, try to order different movies, and and that you try to make recommendations. All the all the information exchange was over snail mail, DVDs, paperwork, right? Not by email. So all the information was over over snail mail, and you would like to, to predict the future demand, you would like to to recommend, by the way, uh, what about these movies, tick this and this, which may be good for you, to predict that you will enjoy them. So so they want to optimize their business, they want to maximize the customer satisfaction. Uh, all of this, right? Uh, so. So the better you can predict, um, there would be huge business benefit for them. Okay? And uh, in this data set, they had, uh, as you can see, almost hundred million user movie rating pairs that they have been uh, rating, uh, given ratings. But this is uh, uh, this is uh, what this is uh, eighteen thousand by four zero uh, point five. Million. I'm, I'm making this out for the size of so this is uh, how much? this is uh, 10,000 by million 10 million values if, if you would do real matrix, then there would be 10 million values but you only have 100 million 100 million and 10 billion is uh, every 100, so it's very sparse. 99 out of 100, actually even more, are empty. Not everybody has seen everything, not everybody has rated everything. Uh, so there is a lot of empty cells in here. And the question is, how do you fill in these uh, 99.5% of empty cells? How to make predictions for those. So, uh, nobody knows those values, right, in, in the reality. But what they did is that uh, uh, they gave the training data, 100 million values, and then, uh, for, pro- for for testing purposes, uh, they had uh, another probe set of 1.4 million values. So that you can train uh, and test. I don't remember it, it, how it exactly was. Yeah, these are the ratings where you, you should, uh, uh, where you should uh, uh, test. The competition was such that it was challenging. You have to be better than the current state of the art. You have to be better than the uh, current state of the art by a margin of 10%. So that means that they had to start uh, somehow. They had to be able to, to test. Um, you are competing. You are submitting the classifier. What is your prediction giving now? What is the, how good it is? Right? They set up the t- the work so that uh, the moment that somebody claims uh, you are watching Netflix now, you're not even listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you have to be able to cut off the competition. Say the moment that the team, first team, gets ten percent improvement, we call that uh, a moment when we stop the competition. And it's not that we give out immediately the prize. Uh, there is a there is a problem, right? If you, if you are able to test uh, a lot of time, you change one value, and if you get if, you, if it gets better then you have better classifier. And then you could, uh, s- uh, small step by small step, you could uh, reach this 10% quickly. So you would you could fool yourself of being able to predict by just test every five values for every movie prediction. Does it, did it make better or worse uh, for these one million pairs? Uh, well, no, point two, two eight million pairs uh, times five values. You can just tune them and for each one, you can figure out what is optimal But this is kind of uninteresting. You don't know how well that will behave in the future. So uh, yeah, so this is what I explained. That this is the, the matrix, and the question is how to fill in the gaps. So this is the, tra- the training, uh, they can uh, have the uh, process, validation, they can validate, they have the models, and then they can submit the uh, validation. And then there was a public leaderboard, uh, which team is doing the best, uh, for which only the, uh, the scores are, are published, what is their overall, uh, overall uh, score uh, in the public leaderboard. So, the idea was that the moment that the competition stops, uh, we should go after the, the real test that nobody has ever seen. So, that was a kept aside in the, in, the, in, the, in the locker somewhere. So, yes, you claim that you are good, and it seems that you may be quite good, but let's now make the real final test, ultimate, only once use this thing, only once. Who is best on that single chance? That wins. You may claim that you are the best, but somebody else wins. Uh, so actually, what they did is they had this uh, public leaderboard and uh, and asked for the. They they stopped. The, the competition was going on for one and a half, two years. It took a long time until the first. Team reached to that level to say that we have reach, reached 10% improvement. There was yet another catch to make it harder. Okay, uh, you probably have the 10% improvement. Let's stop the competition now. But we will still give one month for everybody to get better. For everybody to jump aboard. You look like a smart guy. The competition was: out you have one month to come up with a better solution, and you could grab the one million. He was doing all this waste time and effort before, but you could jump in and grab the one million. You have one month time. Why? <laughs> Why? Because company wants to get the best solution out there. company wants to get the best machine learning. They are trying to get the best. They are not caring about it who get the prize, as long as it goes to the best people. It seems unfair to you? Guess what happened? I'm a new game I've got the prize. Guess what happened? The, the one who, who get... Uh, uh, who, who, the team that said that we broke the 10% barrier, you could see all the others and say that, oh, Jeez. we have invested so much time, and this guy is getting surprised. Let's get all together, all the 10 teams, and let's come up into something better collectively. So all the other teams joined up. To beat that one bastard. <laughs> but the, 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 the final moment of truth is sitting somewhere in the locker and nobody has seen. It. So you have to be truly honest to your, what you are trying to do you are trying to guess how to beat uh, everybody on that single shot that nobody has seen and, uh, and, and then in this final month i think that the team that joined up they they surpassed on the public leaderboard they got better score etc it was really really um, i did not follow that real time but basically they they it was a really heated uh, uh, competition and uh, I'm not sure what was the final uh, moment that that was there uh, but it seemed that the, the, the teams who teamed up that they had a slightly better hand. Uh, but nobody had seen the, the real thing. So uh, now you can start plugging in all the possible techniques that you have developed. Oh, let's take this idea and that idea. Let's, we have these methods, let's try to make some uh, some ensemble methods, let's combine all of those and start seeing what are the common predictions, so you can start doing all, the, all kinds of tricks. And uh, and then the last, at last, uh, the test real test was on this unseen data, and actually the, the team that was the first, uh, they also won at the very end. But that boosted, that made a lot of, lot of uh, good things for the machine learning community because it gave uh, really high price. Uh, I'm sure that the university invested like tens of millions into doing this, supporting the professors and students. Right? So actually the company got, with one million you, you can get effort of, crowdsourcing effort of tens of millions worth, expertise, that you would never be able to hire. And you don't know who is the best. Right? So for a company that was really, uh, really great. And now there are all these uh, competition uh, leaderboards on Kaggle. You can go online, you, there are lots of bio. Right. You have a computer open. What is the top price on Kaggle.com? Kaggle. 30, right now. What? I believe it's about 30,000. 30,000. Well, there have been several million dollar uh, uh, prize uh, competitions as well. Okay. Uh, the, pro- the problem with this, idea was that. Netflix, the time moved on, and I think at the end, Netflix says that, okay, this method was better, but they really did not adopt it, I think, into their production system. Somehow said that it was, I don't remember what the argument was exactly, but somehow that, first of all, the time had passed on, the time of DVDs had uh, passed, and now that they have the online watching, uh, they have slightly different Goals in the machine learning. Because you can actually, you can do, you will still watch the movie that is C rated movie, the full time of that, you will rate it zero or one, but you still watch it. What Netflix does know is everything that you do actually. That you really actually watch and where do you stop, what do you uh, watch at what time, etc. So there uh, and the question is what is the business plan exactly what, how do they propose? You log in, you say that "I like this and this and this movie." and that is the first question. and then they start building the profile for you uh, because you have only limited screen, and the better you better put their rele- uh, um, relevant uh, movies on the front screen. okay, so um, so we uh, said that we, our supervised learning is to really learn this function that classifies uh, on unseen data. And uh, we should validate on the test table. Now we have not really talked about what are the functions and uh, uh, let's move into the functions. First, decision trees. Decision trees I just described to you, uh, this chap Ross Quinland came up with this in 19. 19- Seventies, I think uh, that you just take an attribute, outlook based on what is the value line, line is sunny, overcast or rain, you know where to move in the decision tree, down, and the final in the leaves you have uh, labels, yes or no, if it's rain and weak wind, we should play tennis, yes, we don't care about rain and weak wind, we play tennis, if it's strong wind, no. So that data is trained from this example, Uh, based on the output temperature, humidity, wind, and observations. Yes or no? Do people play tennis when it's uh, highly humid, hot, mild, overcast, rain, weak wind? Yes, they play tennis. So, what is a decision tree that captures this? uh, The rules. How do we build the, the, the decision tree? We can use the uh, attributes, output, temperature, humidity, weight. And then we can make the first choice, right? We have one, two, three, four choices, for attributes. This has one, two, three, one, two, three, one, high normal, high normal, two values. This has weak, strong, weak, strong, two values, two values, two values, three values, three values. Which one is the first choice? Four attributes Three values, three values, two values, two values uh, Yeses and No's are shown depending on that choice This one is uh, should be your root of the tree Outlook, why? If it's overcast, then you were always correct, right? You hope that if you use output, you have, you're already solving all the cases that are overcast, and then depending on the, in the sun or rain, you can have different classifiers branching from those branches. While in is humidity high normal, you have yes is yes Well, but this is also if you read really normal. Most of the time, people play tennis. Do you care about this one unfortunate event that somebody was forced to play tennis? So, so what you try to say is, is something that that causes uh, that allows us to believe that it's easier to build the classifier for future cases in the in here that by choosing this you don't need to care about this branch We have only this and this branch is, that maybe the trees will be smaller right? intuitive and you can formalize this with information content entropy which which of these choices maximizes my information gain I, I gain a lot of new information Uh, slip is informative when it reduces entropy, Uh, this is uh, uh, entropy, the probability of the message times the logarithm of the probability of the message over all the the different values. So basically, uh, the question is how much information I I gain. if I have a coin toss, you don't know the value, right? I need to spend one bit to explain what is the value, what was outcome. It's 50-50 choice, what is outcome? But in some other case, uh, if, if, my, if I already know that all the cases are zeros, I don't need to waste any, any bit to tell you that all the 10 next cases will be zero. So we don't spend too much information to, uh, to, to tell about certain things. The death and is zero knowledge in that. You already knew that. You already knew the answer there was zero knowledge, zero bit to be wasted, telling you that information. So Oracle would never tell Neo anything that Neo already knew. Right? Only the stuff that Neo did not know you would need to start wasting bits. You would start wasting bits in here, you know nobody's alpha, but not in here. So how many bits we can save uh, with the, in the creative fashion? Um, so before the split we have uh, yeses and noes, 5 and 9 out of 14, entropy is 0.94. After the split we have 3 cases, and uh, and uh, we can calculate uh, 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 five, four, five, 4, uh, how they are uh, five, four, five, how they are split uh, for these cases. But what is the uh, uh, entropy within this class? And because it's uh, almost 50-50 choice, then it's zero uh, point ninety-seven, close to one uh, bit for all these five cases. Zero, bit, zero bits in here, and almost one bit in here because it's two, three, three, two. These are symmetric equal, right? <laughs> so in the beginning we have the two choices, and if we would waste bits, then we, we would pay waste zero point nine four bits per case. Now we have uh, uh, these cases five, four, five, and on average, because we don't need to waste any bits in here, on average we will have bits per remaining uh, case. And the uh, the information gain is the difference in here. We have gained uh, almost 0.3 bits per case. Uh, So the entropy is something that is maximal, is 1 at the 50-50, because then you have to tell which one it is, but when it's highly skewed, one uh, percent and ninety percent, then for this one percent you waste some number of bits, uh, and ninety percent you you use less. So this is entirely information information theoretic uh, consideration. If you are very imbalanced, all the cases are in one extreme. Anyway, zero bits. All the all the cases are in the other extreme. You waste zero bits. The the information entropy is high when the balance is 50-50. Uh, and then you can plug in different measures, uh, Gini index, what is the imbalance, uh, misclassification error, just as long as you are able to tell which one seems to be the best choice in the beginning. And this is very greedy local decision. Let's put that first choice and then recursively start dealing with the rest. ID3, what was uh, the first uh, distrust quantum uh, that was using this entropy measure and uh, starts with the root, finds one attribute that gives the high, highest information gain split, and then recursively keep growing a tree for the sub node. So that was the attribute with the uh, nominal values. You, 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 have, you just choose it, you have three classes or two classes. You can generalize that with the continuous attributes We have the numeric values Let's put the decision point in here To the right, to the left Or in here So when you have numeric ranges Then you can choose where you put the split Right? You can choose which one maximizes the imbalance on both sides And then you can start supporting the Now I think i have that value Then you have to pass that on The trick is that you can start recursively go deeper and deeper, you can make, ultimately, uh, every single case in different subtree. You can make a very big big tree that is 100% correct on the training cases. But that does not mean that it's good for prediction. Smaller tree that makes mistakes in training can have much better future prediction ability. So pruning the tree becomes essential. We believe in small theories, in small models that describe the world, rather than huge trees. So C4.5 is uh, extension of ID3, uh, and then there is a commercial version that was. These are already from 1980s, uh, 90s, I think. So the decision trees are very simple. Uh, methods that are easy and efficient, you can plot them, you can make the trees, you can start following what was, a, what, was a, uh, what was the case, yet there are, you can't say that you can make optimal tree because we started heuristically with the one choice, locally, right, we don't optimize for the global tree, just locally heuristically. And then it can make uh, overfitting if we don't make it sure that you cut the branches. And it's not always the best. Later, uh, some I I don't know ten years ago, there were emerged the cases where I care about one single tree. Let's make a forest of trees. Let's make more, uh, more many trees. uh, Possibly training on different data data subsets, different attributes, and many trees. I have a thousand trees. Each one has seen different data. But I can start using them in the way that, okay, over the 1,000 trees, what is your collective prediction? And in this way boost the performance. So random forest is an example of, of an ensemble method where you combine multiple trees into a single decision engine and start applying majority voting. It can do just a simple majority voting or you can start, oh, on average this tree is usually really good, I put more weight on that. These trees make more mistakes, so I put less weight on that. You can start doing voting based on that uh, different weights as well. So, what is the true problem with this over prediction is that we have the training and test cases, and if you want really hard, then you can fit in every single case correctly. The green line cause makes ex- exact boundary between all the cases. But intuitively we can see that the green line probably is not so good for the classifier. Maybe the the, the black line, even though it makes occasional mistakes, is simpler and uh, probably more correct in making predictions um, in future, on average. So simpler methods work better. Simple is good. Less is more. Uh, so that's uh, this outcome's razor: the simpler is better. So if you try really long and hard and train, then your classifier may actually become worse. So there is an optimum time that you, uh, effort that you have to, to uh, apply it, and you can you can test this against uh, only the data that was not used in the training only the data that you have not seen and if you if you just keep 120% away and have the 80% and trade that that test is it good Train again, is it better? Train again, is it better? this is not going to do the trick because then you are fooling one of these complex things may randomly work better on that 20 percent. Given too many tries, it does not mean that you you are going to do uh, better at the end. So in the decision tree case, uh, you can make the big tree, but then you can also pull back or cut the the branches. Like uh, in spring, you go to the countryside in Estonia and cut back the branches of apple tree, and then it's better. You, could, you can do it bottom-up from the leaves, or top-down, just decide at some point, we will we stop in here. And we are back to some sort of idea that simpler models... Okay, we can leave it with some exceptions. Simple models, with some exceptions, are better than the more complex models. Uh, so some examples, of course, now you can have the different libraries, different tools, they have the decision tree modules, you can do visualizations. How many cases go to the left, to the right? How do you how do you get your classes tables? You can at every node you can say, okay, there. If I just go that node, there is 27, distances. Uh, nearly 60% of the data ends in there, and the class imbalance is such. So if I just stop in here, I will be already 73% confident that I will make correct decision. In here, and then you can go deep, uh, deeper and deeper. You can observe what happens in every node, and you can sort of uh, try to figure out what happens in your classification. At every node, you can uh, look at the distribution of the values. Uh, in principle, you can put in the in the If we just apply one attribute, x less than x, or more than x, Uh, then you can say that we use one attribute, on the left side we will use uh, y attribute, so this is the x, in here we will start using uh, y, we can go up or down, um, in up we can again apply for the next x left or right so we can uh, we can start making the tree in this way so in the in the just using that one attribute at a time it's x y z etc so it's like going coordinate by coordinate uh, making space smaller and smaller in principle you can do something in here that it's Does not need to be exactly xy you can start making some more complex uh, like uh, lines that are not uh, perpendicular to the axis but most typically you just do the simple case so with one tree and now the hope is that the most informative splits that we do the most informative decisions that we apply that they're also useful for understanding the rule. You can read out the first choice and then already know okay if the most important was income, that is a good value, right? Depending on the data, the tree can be uh, different, uh, but the attributes that are closer to the root may be more important. so, if you start doing this randomly many times, giving uh, different subsets of data, then if all the trees use the same attribute, income, somewhere in the tree, that must mean that the income is important. The problem is that sometimes you can have thousands of attributes, and yet you want to have a tree of 10 attributes. So which one is, of the 10 is important? Right? If out of the 1,000 classifiers, 900 will use income, then income is important. So so this is a generalization uh, straight to the random forest uh, that uh, actually can work in the way that... If you think of this large data, we can make a random forest in the way that we uh, sub-select rows. We can give one classifier one subset, uh, the other classifier some other subset, uh, the third classifier, some parts from here, some from here, so they can all see a slightly different set of data But they can also see slightly different chunks of attributes uh, You can make some classifiers um, Okay, maybe there is some label in here. Is this or that good cl- uh, cluster or belong to that. Do they watch? Uh, documentaries Musicals, comedy so you can start labeling them uh, based on different movies. So if many trees uh, have used certain values, there is an overlapping here. Uh, maybe there, is, there has to be some overlap. If the trees made on, on this data, if they use the same attributes, that makes these attributes more important. So, uh, this is the hard to see the examples, red and green dots, they are a bit mixed. You can make a decision trees, sort of like that, are very uh, straight lines. Uh, this is roughly the boundary, uh, reds and greens should be here, but there will be mistakes. So this is what a random forest might look like, making the decisions. It's not a single... Not, not a single decision uh, with the straight lines, but you can get, with the majority voting, you can still get uh, something that resembles the true uh, classes. Yeah. You can have x, x and y. x does not classify perfectly, y does not classify perfectly. Maybe there is a linear combination of x and y that is your perfect classifier. So mathematically, we, we, we want to have some sort of like separation between the classes. In the decision tree, you would start from one attribute x or y. But in more complex cases, we really care about uh, how to split between the two classes. And uh, linear hyperplanes are good in this. Um, so we will have uh, linear classifiers uh, we can make the linear classifiers uh, better, um, we, we will uh, next time look at the base uh, methods. we will look at the support vector machines, uh, which are linear classifiers, but they do magic. they can work. They can do linear. You, they can use linear methods, but in fact achieve non-linear classification with a curved boundary. Okay, I will, I will stop in here, uh, just on the same data that we wanted to predict, yes or no. What the Bayes would do is that would, I would observe what is, if I have seen sun or rain or overcast, what is the probability to see the play tennis or not x, right? You can have the probability from x predict y, x1, x2 predict y. If we have every possible case uh, observed, then we can make the true probabilities to yes or no tenets, if there are enough training cases. But the moment that we have more attributes, we will never see all the cases. We want to predict for the new cases. We have never seen what happens if there is, uh, I don't know, overcast, uh, hot temperature, high humidity. I don't know, high wind. It's not in the data. How do we predict for that? So we can actually tune the probability methods into that uh, case as well, even though we have not seen that data yet. Uh, I have to check whether for the next week homework, did, did you put any bias? Yes, we did. What was it? What was the task? Yeah. That's number Sir, number four. Yeah, but what was the wording? Uh, uh, okay. So, can you give me 5 minutes? We still have 4. <laughs> we want to predict yes or no. We have this yes or no in here. 9 cases yes, 5 cases no. Your default prediction would be yes. Because it will be bad. Most people play tennis. Right? So based on just this frequency of the two classes, you could say that most of you play tennis. Now, if you look at one variable at a time, weak, We can strong week We can get two cases: six times strong, eight times weak. But we can get conditional probability weak. Yes, six out of eight. So high probability that if a uh, win is weak, we play tennis. Uh, and only sometimes, no. For strong win, it's 50-50 spring. So we can make, uh, based on the attribute, we can predict the value. When we take more attributes, the problem is that our numbers get smaller. So the predictions, you can still make the prediction, but the numbers are small, so you don't know if this is If this is 1 out of 3, or 2 out of 3, yes, you will call no, but you will end up in the situation that we do not have all the cases. So the trick in here is that from from these x's, we want to predict y. From all the x's, we want to predict class. So we estimate this uh, probability for all the x's that we have to predict class, and for this new case, we can compare for the new x's what is the probability of both for class 1 or probability of class 2. If this is higher, we predict class 1. If the probability is uh, uh, for C2, if this is higher, we predict C1, of both. Right. So uh, x1, x2, x3, so let's uh, just say that for all the inputs we predict Class one if this is larger than the other prediction. For instancy, for inputs, we predict class. What is the condition probability for A given B? And now the base formula that you already have observed that you can calculate the condition probability, you can reverse it. For class, what would be the probability to see these attributes? What is the probability for classes? We have nine, seven ratio. And what is the probability for these attributes? So we can apply these, uh, this rule on both sides. And what we can immediately see is that probability of x on both sides is equal. We want to make what is larger, so we can get rid of the probability of x, probability of these variables. Because it's equal on both sides. So we can make it easier. Probability of class times what is the probability to see these attributes given this class? Probability of class is important because majority vote usually would work better, right? You would predict class only 2 plus 2 only if if this is small, only if this is strong evidence for these attributes. So what is in uh, here is probability of. Uh, we just move C, uh, this probability there, this probability there. We compare the probabilities of class one predicts x, class two predicts x. What is the ratio compared uh, to probability of C2 divided by probability of C1? If this is larger, we predict C1. Straightforward uh, transformations of the formula. For uh, probabilities of the classes, it, it can be even uh, done for the for the numerical data, the red and blue class, what is the probability, and what is the probability to observe this value given one class or the other. So with the Bayes' formula, formula we can actually, uh, what, for class we can predict the x's. What is the probability to observe all these x's? So this is where we apply the Bayes' uh, rules, and this is kind of optimal classifier. The problem is that we do not have, we cannot predict for yes or no every value in the data. How do we, from the class, what is the probability of x1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7? We don't know that. But now the trick of the naivety, of Naive Bayes' method trick, is that Okay, let's make a simple assumption that x1, x2, x3 are independent. In that case, probability of the joint probability is equal to probability of x1 given plus times probability of x2 given plus. So we, we can make this joint probability into the multiplication of independent variable probabilities. So this is the naive one. Just assume that they are independent, and then this will hold. And with this naive method, uh, we can convert what it used to be from class one all the all the variables. We can make a multiplication of all the probabilities individually. For class to observe one attribute, individual for the other class, one attribute, individual for class one, class two. What is the probability to see humidity uh, humidity for class one, humidity for class two? And we, we can keep these ratios and compare to the to the class distributions. So multiply over all these uh, individual parts. Uh, so we, for every class, we, every match we will find, we can uh, calculate what are the probabilities. We will multiply over all these cases. Our score, we can individually build these scores. And depending on the score, we can decide whether the class is one or two. If our data gets bigger, the probabilities get small, then there is a problem that we get close to zero, and multiplications we get even smaller. So what can be added, uh, done in here is to make logarithmic transformation. Instead of uh, these ratios, make logarithms, and logarithmic score is just a sum. Instead of the multiplication, now it's a sum of these logarithmic scores. You can do this because we only compare about Greater or less, and we can do that in the logarithmic or uh, original space. If logarithmic score for these sum over all these individual values uh, ratios is larger than that, this class uh, labels, that we can make the predictions. If the data tells us that we should predict this way, uh, then we can make that prediction. So that is the that that is the naivety of methods that just goes for every class, calculator times, uh, how, how often you, where uh, is the data? For yes, no, you can calculate what are the probabilities for weak or strong. For yes, no, you can calculate high normal cases. For class yes or no, you can calculate what is the probability of these hot, mild uh, temperatures and uh, multiply them together and compare to this uh, 9, uh, 95 uh, division. You would predict class 2 no if uh, for if no the evidence that you observe the same values as most of the no's is stronger than for yes's. That was about five six minutes. Can you now do this over? Yes. So, yeah. So you just count, play with the probabilities, follow these examples, count frequencies, what are the ratios, multiply them together. Uh, You don't need to do all these 0.999, 0.0012, you can keep the ratios, you can do the uh, counts.